0: You might have heard that recently in the news, Vice President Pence, no relation to Ian, I don't think, right? <laughs> Vice President Pence and Karen were in the news, um, and it wasn't for a good reason either. I mean, well, I guess any part of this presidency, probably not in the news for a good reason. But in this particular case, they were put on blast by a particular guy who was tweeting. He said this, hey, fellow Christian school grads, let's tell Vice President Pence and David French how traumatizing those bastions of bigotry are. Using the hashtag, expose Christian schools. He calls himself, you see on the, one of the hashtags there, evangelical which is a clever way of saying, I used to be an evangelical, used to identify as that, no longer do anymore. What caused this writer and a host of others to say that, that Karen Pence's workplace was a bastion of bigotry? Well, let me quote one title of one magazine for you, a popular magazine that everyone knows. Karen Pence is teaching at an anti-gay Bible school. So the one thing that made everything different for them was that Karen Pence is teaching at a school that holds to historic Christian truth. Why is this important for you? One simple reason. If you're going to be a Christian in today's culture, you're going to have to hold to a biblical truth that will make everyone else around you think you're a complete, total moron. You want to get a job? Well, tell me about where you stand on homosexuality. Tell me about where you stand on men and women's roles. Tell me about what you believe about the Bible. Is it God's word or is it just a man's, uh, man's myths and legends and good things about humanity? Everything that I'm about to say builds on what I said last week. When we said God defines what God designs, that's Genesis chapter 2. And this week, we're going to talk about how this all comes together in the New Testament and why it's so important is because the the, the very thing that I'm about to teach you from God's word, if you believe this, it's dangerous. If you choose to believe what I'm about to tell you, you will lose out on opportunities that you otherwise would have if you chose to believe the opposite. In fact, it's so compelling and such a strong argument. Here's what you're going to be tempted to do with this sermon. Well, that's good and well, but I think Pastor Rod may have just misunderstood it. In fact, aren't there many translations of the Bible? In fact, don't people really come to the same text and believe different things? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. The question not the question, is not, are there different understandings of the Bible? The question is, which is the right understanding? Which is the most legitimate given the circumstances, given the truth of the text itself? We're going to let the text speak this morning. And what it says sometimes may not make you feel good. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, um, but I'm not sorry. I'm sorry, not sorry, you know? I'm sorry that it makes you feel bad, but I'm not sorry that it's what you need to hear and it's a truth and consequently makes you feel a little bit like, ah, I don't like that. Um, and that's okay because the, the truth, when it confronts us, often doesn't feel good in the moment. Just like if someone says, hey, your breast stings, here's a tic-tac. may not feel good in the moment, but you're so grateful for that tic-tac, right? Here's a biblical tic-tac for you. You guys ready? <laughs> The biblical tic-tac today is called Relationship Goals, and I'm titling it this because this is really where the thrust of your life should go. If you're a young man or a young woman, and you're saying to yourself, I'm not even interested in dating right now or relating to the opposite sex in that way, not on my radar, let me tell you, it should be. It should be. This is the kind of life that you should aspire to. Loving a woman in a godly way and loving a man in a godly way is something that is good and right and proper for 99% of you. There's a 1%, I don't actually know the number, I'm just using a general number here. There's 1% of you that's called to be single, okay? God is going to give some of you the gift of being single for the glory of the kingdom, but for the rest of us, you're likely called to marriage. And right now, even if it's not on your radar and you're not interested in the opposite sex in a romantic way, you should be. Not that you should act on it in, in every way that your flesh desires, but that you should desire to be in a relationship with the opposite sex and you should prepare now. That's my that's my starting place. Now, on top of that, what I also want to say is this. When it comes to your relationship goals, when it comes to liking the opposite sex or having a, an attraction to the opposite sex, you and I are built very similarly. We, we're designed to want something out of that. We're designed to have... Um, They have intimacy with the opposite sex. I'm not just talking about sex. I'm saying that there's a sense in which we want to have relationships, and the best way to go about them is God's way. God defines what God designs, and this morning, here's my thesis for you. Here's my one-point takeaway, okay? If you're going to follow this sermon's advice, if you're going to follow what the text says, here's what I think it says in a nutshell. Only when we embrace our roles will we reach our relationship goals, When we embrace our roles, only then do we reach our relationship goals. What's our relationship goals? To be in a relationship, number one, but to have intimacy, to have satisfaction, to have joy, to have fulfillment. All those things are good things that God has put in your heart to have. But only when you have them in the right way, only when you have them in the right way, in the right frame that God has set for you, will it actually make sense. Only when you embrace your roles will we reach our relationship goals. So with that, again, we started with Genesis chapter 2 last week. We're going to move on to Ephesians chapter 5. This is the yin and the yang of the two put together. This is what will ultimately make sense for us. This is what's going to make sense for us as we study God's word. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. You got someone, uh, uh, Ethan read for you the text that led up to this. It was important that you understood the background because this jumps right on into it. Look at verse 22 here. Actually, here, let me skip that. Don't look at that right now. Verse 22. Wives, and there's that big, awful, terrible word that we started on last week. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's a tough spot to start in, isn't it? That's where we begin, but that's not where we end. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's understand some of the important and difficult things in that text. First of all, we talked about the word... Oops, let's try that again. Talk about the word submit. Let me just tell you this as a, as a being a faithful Bible teacher to you. That word isn't there, okay? The word submit is not there in verse 22. It is in verse 21. In verse 21, it, it said submitting to one another. In verse 22... Uh, Paul is building on that thought and he says, why, okay, so submitting to one another, wives to your own husbands. So he doesn't say the word wives, submit to your husbands, he says, uh, submitting to one another, wives to your own husbands. And so the word is supplied there by the English translators because it's, it's suggested. It's there even if it's not there. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now this is a tough place to start. Women, we're gonna start with you. Girls in the room, this is for you. As to the Lord. Own husbands as to the Lord. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Rod, clearly it's about husbands and wives. I don't have to worry about talking uh, about submitting to the guys in the room or doing the things that you're going to suggest. I think this text most clearly represents a template for how guys and girls are supposed to act in relationships in general. Not that your submission to a guy looks the same uh, looks the same as it would be for your husband, as it would be for your pastor, as it would be for your father. But that the text seems to suggest that guys are often, and perhaps mostly, put in a position of leadership by God's command, by God's decree. And in the way that it happens with husbands and wives is that she submits to him as to the Lord. Not that she submits to him as the Lord, He's not Jesus. He's not God. But her job, your job, ladies, is to submit to your husband, whenever that comes, as you would do it as a service to Christ himself. Verse 23. He offers the the reason why this is the case. For the reason why husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, look what he does here. Husband and then Christ. He's likening these two people here. Husband and Christ. And then look who who else he's likening. Um, The wife and the church. He's saying that Christ is to the husband as the wife is to the church. And that together, when you look at those together, what you're seeing here is a relationship of leadership and submission. And not only that, but as a church submits to Christ, the wives should submit to their husbands. Check this out. In everything. That's a hard phrase to read, isn't it, ladies? Ladies. Hard place to be. And again, this is the, this is building on what we began last week. Let me point this to you in this way. Now, as we start thinking about how this applies to you, who's not a married woman, let me give you what I think is a helpful starting place. If you're going to submit to the, your future husband, you've got to adopt that mentality today. There's got to be a sense in which you say to yourself and to uh, the men that God has placed in your life, okay, I want to learn what it means to humbly submit. Because this is ultimately beautiful. This is a good thing. This is a right thing. This is a holy thing. In fact, that's how I put it. When it comes to the, the, the humble submission that you're called to, and I think this would apply to both male and female alike, but in particular, I'm talking to you ladies right now, experience the beauty of humble submission. And that starts today. That starts right now. That starts with how you treat a, a host of people in your life. I remember that, uh, well, I, I, do, do anyone remember their first dance? Whether you went to middle school, you went to your first dance? I remember my first dance. It was awkward and weird. I don't know if my body made the right moves. I don't know. I think I sit on the wall most of the time. But when, when a dance is good, when you, okay, raise your hand. Have you ever danced with the opposite sex? Okay, not everybody. Okay, when it comes, okay, when it comes and when it works out well, it's a good and fun and awesome thing. I know we're Bible-believing Christians, and for most of us, sin is, uh, dance is sin. But but when, when dance is done in an appropriate sense, and it's not like gyrating across people's bodies and it's done appropriately, it is a good and godly thing. Dance is a gift from God. And when it's done well, where the guy is leading and the girl is following, magic happens. Like the chemistry of between the two, magical things take place. It kind of looks like this. This is all me by the way. This is me. <laughs> Try that again. There we go. And boom. That's why I'm pleased to introduce to you our brand new event, True North Swing Dance. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. If you want to sit, go sit on your own. Just kidding. That was cool to watch. And not only can... Okay, if you're a guy, I tried to pick a dance that was like, all right, that's cool. I can get into that. It wasn't like ballroom dancing, which is for... Never mind. Uh, But that was cool, and I would argue that it's even beautiful to see when a guy is leading and a girl is following together, they can look so much better than they were apart. So here's three reasons why uh, humble submission is beautiful. First and foremost, it showcases God's design. Remember we talked about last week the yin and the yang, the peanut butter and the jelly. They work together, they fit together, and when those two things are put together, it's beautiful to watch. We have a sun. We have a moon. We have day. We have night. We have land. We have sea. We have fish. We have birds. There's a there, there's a type of harmony in creation that God has designed that is beautiful to watch. You ever ask yourself why do you like clean lines? Why do you like when things fit together? Have you ever seen that that Reddit uh, that Reddit thread about oddly satisfying? I'll decide, uh, I, I watched this like, that's cool to watch. Why do I like this? <laughs> Why is it nice to watch someone slice like that? I mean, it's, it's weird, but I think that points to what God has put in us. That when things fit together, when things are working in harmony, in, uh, with a synonymous, or not synonymous, a symmetry, that to us is beautiful to watch. And for you in your relationships, if you want to reach your relationship goals, you gotta understand that there's gotta be a party in the relationship that's willing to say, I'll follow you. Just like in the dance, the woman follows the man, and and together, because she's following his lead, they both look better. They both look better to the the watching eye. So first and foremost, it showcases God's design. Secondly, I want to point out to you, it showcases humility. Now, that's kind of obvious. Humble submission showcases humility. But let me tell you, there's one of the most beautiful things to watch in all of humanity is a humble heart. There are a few things that are more attractive to the watching world than someone who is humble, willingly, joyfully humble, not someone who's like begrudgingly following someone else's lead because they have to, but a joyful submission. And this humility is rooted in the Godhead himself. Jesus was sent by the Father in Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And it's awesome to watch. Ladies, when you're called to humble yourself, when you're called to follow someone else's lead, let 1 Peter 5, 5 be an encouragement to you. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you put on as a jacket, humility toward one another for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There are a few things that are more attractive in this life than a humble soul. Are you that person? If not, this is something for you to work on right now, young woman. Young man, you too, but you're coming up next. Thirdly, submission showcases God's righteousness. This is how it's supposed to be. This is the teleos of scripture. This is how God has designed us to work together. It's supposed to be this way. As the church submits to Christ, so the wife submits to her husband. The young ladies are called to humble themselves under the right and godly leadership of a young man. Not in the same exact way. Let me clarify that. Not in the same exact way, but it's beautiful to watch. And for that, let me point you to 1 Peter chapter 3. These six verses talk about what it looks like to be a beautiful young woman. Young ladies, this is for you. We're going to spend just a few brief moments looking at 1 Peter 3, and you're going to find insight from God's word about what it looks like to be beautiful. And I know God has designed in you a desire to be wanted, to be affirmed, and to be told that you are beautiful. Let me give you the secret sauce. This is what you're going to put in your secret sauce repertoire to become beautiful. Okay, you ready? Here goes. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by get this, get this, by the conduct of their wives. So he's pointing first and foremost to how they act. He's not saying what you say. It's not about showing poise in what you speak, but what you do. And what is you, uh, what is what you do? It's meant to be respectful and pure. That's how. That's first and foremost what it looks like in God's sight to be beautiful. It begins with your demeanor, your posture. You're a woman who carries herself with poise, with dignity, with respect. Even if you're wronged, you don't return evil for evil. You return beauty for evil. You return righteousness for evil. So that even if these guys who are un, un, uh, they're, they're married, their husbands are not godly men, uh, Peter's saying you can win them over by the conduct of your life. He continues, don't let your adorning be external. Don't wear. Don't just wear Sephora. Don't just wear the nicest clothing that you can find. Don't just braid your hair in the right way. Putting on gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Verse 4, but let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart. The part of you that no one else can see. Not accentuating your curves, but accentuating your character with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Oh, if you would just understand this. This is what scripture is saying, ladies. You can be the most beautiful person you possible by simply working on the character of your heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and quiet spirit does not mean that you're being you're just being silent and sitting in the corner. You're not relegated. This is saying the posture of your soul. You're not argumentative. You're not trying to usurp authority. You're being gentle in that you're, you're treating others gently, kindly, compassionately, with love. That quiet spirit is not meant to say that you don't ever speak. You do speak up. But the quiet spirit showcases the kind of beauty that says, I'm poised, I'm in control of myself. I know how to carry myself in a way that others can find respectable and respectful. So Peter says, and God says, if you want to be someone who's beautiful, don't accentuate your curves, but accentuate your character says, for this is how the holy women, of, uh, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. And again, adorn, making yourself look beautiful by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and don't, don't fear anything that is frightening. Think about how frightening it is, young ladies. If a young man said to you, hey, I heard from God. He told me to move from here to New York. Come with me. <laughs> God came to me last night, told me audibly, move from here to there. You would rightly say, well, how do you know that, sweetheart? You know, let's talk about it. And of course, for Sarah, that would have been a frightening situation. And yet she's commended here because she didn't fear the consequences of following her husband. She knew that to honor God meant following his lead. And no matter where Abraham would go, God is the ultimate one who's controlling what's happening. She could trust God. She wasn't fearing anything that was frightening. She was doing good. She was being godly. And she was acting in ways that were uh, adorning, beautiful. Young ladies, so much of what I'm going to say today applies to the guys. And it applies to you in a... It it applies to you in an implication type sense. But this is something that I can say with 100% certainty. You can be so beautiful on the outside, but it matters nothing if you're not beautiful on the inside. The way that you get beautiful on the inside is by submitting your life to Christ, following him and being unwilling to compromise that. That is the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. No matter how good you look on the outside, it does not matter if you don't look good on the inside. And that is ultimately what should carry you. Gentle and humble submission means looking beautiful, starting first with the inside person. And of course, again, I want to assure you that this is not meant to demean you as a person. Humility and submission comes first and foremost in the Godhead. Jesus himself submitted to God the Father. Remember what he prayed in the garden? Father, take this cup away from me. I don't want to go to the cross for these sinful people. Nevertheless, if this is what you want, Father, I will do it. That's essentially, that's Pastor Rod's translation. <laughs> but this is, this is why it's so noble and dignifying to put yourself in a position of submission, Ladies. Jesus was perfect. His father's perfect. And I get that you're submitting and you're humbling yourself under imperfect young men. But it's a good and godly thing. Which means at least a few things, ladies. If you're going to start dating, if you're going to think about dating, you should be dating only young men that you know that you could respect enough to follow their lead. If you're dating a young man simply because he's got the good looks and the charm and he's not a godly man, then you're setting setting yourself up for hurt. You're setting yourself up for a fall. Yeah, he's the captain of the football team, and yeah, he's he's chiseled, and he's super awesome, and he's funny. Oh, but he's not a Christian. Oh, I can work on that. I can work on that. No, you can't. You're not God. And no matter how beautiful you are and how romantic you can be, you're not God. God may, in your sin, save him, but that's not the point. The gentle and quiet spirit is a righteous spirit. Don't start dating a guy. Don't look at a guy. Don't entice a guy that you're not willing to follow. If you think following an ungodly man is not going to be costly for you, you're wrong. And as much as I can say as a grace and with kindness toward you, I want to save you from pain. Dating an unbeliever, and we're going to talk about this in week four in this series, but let me just hint at it now. If you're going to date an unbeliever, you're going to hear from me that what you're doing is unwise and sinful. But more, what I really want to show you is that the unwise part of this will hurt you. It'll hurt you. And guys, this applies to you too. If you're going to date an unbelieving girl, no matter how beautiful she is, let me, let me just tell you, and I'm going to, this may be surprising to you, but she's going to get old and ugly. So are you. And at the end of your life, are you really, the, the beauty that you chase, which is temporary, is not going to carry you through, is not going to make it worth it for you when the woman that you've married is not a woman. She's not a godly woman. You'd much rather It's much better to be married to a godly woman who's ugly than an ungodly woman who's beautiful, if it came down to that. But clearly here, that's not the case. That's not a, that's not a mutual option, that they go together in this place. <laughs> so young ladies, find a young man that you could submit to, who is a godly man. Let him take the initiative in your relationship. Let him pay for your dinner. In fact, he should pay for your dinner. If he doesn't pay for your dinner, don't date him again. And, and, and here's the thing. I think it's also right for us to say, too, that the young men that you put your eyes on, you should, in some sense, make them earn your affection and your trust. You should make them earn your love. Make them earn your, your attention. More to say about that, guys. Your turn's coming soon. In the meantime, ladies, who do you submit to? What does that look like? Submit to your fathers. Your fathers currently have authority over your life, and that means if they, they want you to do A and you instead want to do B, then godly woman is going to say, well, okay, Dad, I'm going to follow your lead. You're wise. You have my best interest. I'll do what you want me to do. Submit to your pastors, obviously. Submit to your leaders. Um, and, and there is a sense in which as you pursue a guy or as he, as he pursues you, there is a sense in which you're submitting to his leadership. You're letting him lead. I know that's hard because some of you are very capable leaders, um, In fact, yeah, ladies are great leaders. There's a lot of great lady leaders. Um, But just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it, especially when it comes to relationships. This is how God designed it. Follow Jesus' lead. Humble yourselves, be patient. Let's continue on. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 30. There are three verses dedicated to how the woman is to act in the relationship. There are nine verses dedicated to the young men. Here we go. I'm talking fast because I have a lot to say. Bear with me. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives. That's an imperative. That's a command in scripture. That's the first place it starts. And that's where we're going to start here. Love. That's what shapes all of this. But he can, he adds a comparison. It's not enough just to say love your wives. Let me give you an example to follow, young men. As Christ loved the church. Which way did Christ love the church? It happened as a one-time activity where he gave himself up for her. Christ allowed himself to be crucified, and remember, against his own will. Jesus didn't want this. He did this out of obedience to the Father, but he also loved the bride. Gave himself up for her. Died on the cross. There you go. That he might <laughs> sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I think that's referring to baptism. That's my best guess. He's referring to the sense in which God has, uh, Jesus has saved the, the body of Christ. And now by right of baptism, she makes that known to the watching world that this is now my husband. Uh, and he does it through the word, the word of God, through the gospel for the purpose that, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Let me point out these words to splendor. No spots, no wrinkles, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. All of that is to say that he wants a bride. He's creating a bride for himself that is beautiful. Not beautiful outwardly, although that's part of the implication here, but beautiful inwardly. We just talked about that. That's how Jesus loves his bride, the church. Now, as I, just, as I made clear to you earlier, it's clear that the husband is leading and she's following. But look at how the husband is leading. That's the thing I want you to focus on, young men. Look at how Jesus leads. Yeah, you're called the leader in the relationship, but the leader's not a role of receiving as much as it is giving. You're called to be the first one to give. In fact, it's called sacrificial leadership. So let's say, young men, you should be, let me go here, displaying the glory of sacrificial leadership. This is what it looks like, displaying the glory of sacrificial leadership. We're looking at the example of Christ, who gave himself up for his bride willingly, joyfully, in obedience to the Father and out of love for the bride. Even today's day and age, we still look at things like this. When a, a man uh, leads and lovingly sacrifices for his woman, we, like, we love that. Ladies swoon over that. Guys, like, pound their chests. That's awesome. I like that. Let me give you an example. 2012, there's this guy named James Cameron. I could be getting his name wrong. His name was James Holmes. Sorry. James Cameron. James Holmes. James Holmes, 2012, went into a movie theater in the middle of the night and shot up the place. You guys remember that? 2012, he was called the Aurora Shooter. But what you might not know is that in that same place, there were three young men. One is named Alex, excuse me, John Blunk, Alex Tevis, and Matt McQuinn. These three men, together with their girlfriends who were there at the movie theater, jumped in front of their girlfriends, shoved them under the seat, and allowed their body to be riddled with bullets that their young girlfriends, not wives, could be alive. And guess what happened? They did that very thing. They did have their body riddled with bullets. They died and the ladies that they were protecting lived. Incredible, right? Don't have any suspicion that these men are Christians, but this goes to show that when you see that, there's something inside of you that says, yes, that's right. That's good. That's beautiful. That's awesome. This is what we're called to, young men. This is what it looks like to be a sacrificial leader. And how do you know that you're doing this the right way? Well, let me give you three different ways that you can tell. Young men, this is for you specifically, but young ladies, take note. This is the kind of man you want. Young men, you're loving selflessly. That's what it means to be a sacrificial leader. In verse 25, it says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is what it means to love selflessly to have her best interest in mind and be willing to say in your relationship with any young woman, it's not about me. Even though I might feel that way. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. I'm protecting her best interests. You're willing to give yourself to the point of pain. As much as Christ gave himself up means he died for her good. He paid the ultimate price for her ultimate good which means young men, I mean, it's, it's so obvious, but let me just say this. When you're dating a young girl, when you're interested in a young woman, protect her heart, guard her, guard her heart. Don't let it, don't let her get so involved and so wrapped up in your universe that she forgets her Lord and savior. It's so easy for that to happen. It's so easy for her to get caught up and have lovey eyes as she looks at you and forget that her greatest love, her greatest, her her greatest leader is Christ himself. If you're letting that happen, it's because of you. You're allowing that. You're not protecting your heart. You're not guarding her. You're letting her think that you're the secret sauce. Loving selflessly means also don't mislead her. Don't, don't, don't try to couch your feelings by just, I mean, you're trying to, well, you know, it's not working out. Jesus told me to break up with you. Hey, man up and tell her this isn't working out for both of us. We're going to break up. (laughs) Not, Not callously, but being honest with her. Don't take advantage of her. Is this any more obvious? Don't take advantage of her. Don't put her in your bedroom. Don't put her in the back of your car. Don't let her do stuff to you that you know is inappropriate. Don't do stuff to her that's inappropriate. Loving her selflessly means being able to tell your bodily passions, no, for her best interest, it's not wise of me to do anything to her that's inappropriate or ungodly. Don't seduce her. Don't seduce her. Don't seduce her. Don't do that. That's not loving her selflessly. That's loving her selfishly. I and mean, then, granted, that's not even loving her selfishly. That's hating her in a selfish manner. Don't let her make an idol of you. Honor her. Treat her with deference, with respect. Cherish her. And repeatedly point her to her true Savior. It's not you. It's Jesus. I wish we had more lovingly selfless young men. But right now, what I see most often in the news and through reports and through a host of other channels is a lot of young men who are so into themselves and so into meeting their bodily passions and so willing to take advantage of young women who don't know any better or are simply just trying to garner your affection that they let themselves be used by you, used and abused. Let that never be the case in this room. If you call yourself a Christian and you call Compass Bible Church your home and you call Christ your Savior, let it never be that in this room there's ever a young man who abuses or takes advantage of a young, impressionable woman. She is your sister in the Lord, and you are called to love her and to sacrifice her for her, not sacrifice her. That's different. (laughs) You also know that you're loving her, you're leading sacrificially when you are leading benevolently. Jesus. Sacrificed himself on the cross in verses 26 and 27, that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that he she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus died uh, for her best interest. Uh, godly leading is godly giving. Godly leading is godly giving, not receiving you always have her good in mind as you make decisions that's essentially what's going on here Uh, and this is the hard thing because even as i'm preaching to you young men, there's there's married men in this room that we would be crazy to tell you that we don't struggle with this in some manner leading benevolently loving selflessly but specifically when it comes to leading benevolently it means when you lead and you're making decisions you're not making decisions to benefit yourself you're making you're making decisions to benefit her so for instance if you're thinking about where you're going to take her on a date her dad lets you take her on a date and you now think, okay, where am I going to take her? Let me take her to that seedy place in the dark so that you know we can be alone. No, you're not going to do that. You're going to lead her benevolently. You're going to say, I'm going to find a place that shows that I honor and respect her. I'm going to find a nice open place like Bagels and Brew where everyone's got access to your business. You're leading her benevolently when you, choose, you deliberately choose not to use loving pet names. And I don't mean just any pet names. I mean, some pet names are like, okay, my boo, whatever. But you know that there are some words and phrases that when you use them, they imply something deeper, something more intimate, something that probably should be reserved for husbands and wives. So when you're talking to these young girls, I fully expect that you are protecting your heart and saying, I'm not going to use certain emojis. I'm not going to use certain terms and phrases with her because I know that will mislead her and take her deeper into a relationship and I'm not trying to lead her there yet. That You control the speed of the relationship. The time of day that you meet, nothing good ever happens when it's dark outside. For the most part except for fireworks maybe but beyond that when it comes to your relationships young men you should be saying oh it's getting dark now, so let me take you home <laughs> go home i don't want to be near you where we could potentially compromise that's being a guy you're leading her and she might feel slight like oh you don't want to be around me at nine o'clock she might feel slighted but you're doing the best thing for her you're protecting her you're leading her for her good benevolently serving and supporting her her walk Hey, come to my house. My parents are gone. Well, if they're gone, I'm gone too. I'm not going. I'm not going to your house after night, and I'm not going when your parents aren't there. Leading her benevolently means that you are leading her toward greater holiness. Your primary objective, young man, when you're dating a young girl is to to encourage and support her holiness. If you're being a detriment to her holiness, you're not being a good boyfriend, you're you're not being a good friend, you're not being a good anything at this point. You need to repent. Being a good boyfriend, being a good brother in Christ means you're caring more about her holiness. And that means that you're not going to ask for nudes. You're not going to put her in a compromising situation. I want you to be able to look her husband in the eye, if it's not you someday, and say, I loved, I loved your wife when I was dating her. She's a great woman. I know that. I'm glad that she found a godly man to marry. And for some of you, that won't be the case because you let the relationship go in places it should not have gone. Let me just say one more thing about this. I know we're running down on time here, but let me just say one more thing about this. Young men, this means also in your relationships, you're setting boundaries because you know you're sinful. I'm not saying that you're making a ton of rules to regulate the relationship, but you're making, at least in your heart and in your mind and with your brothers, I need to have parameters in place so that I don't sin against her. I don't dishonor her, dishonor her family, dishonor Christ, I'm not saying, I don't, I don't want you to be a rule-making kind of guy. I want you to have, at least in your mind and with your brothers and your leaders, uh, guardrails in place so that you don't drive your relationship off of a cliff. You know that you're leading and displaying sacrificial leadership when you are serving attentively. In verses 28 through 30, uh, about um, when, when Paul turns the corner and says, the husband he says, in the same way, husbands, they should love their wives as their own bodies. As their own bodies. If you're dirty, you take a shower. If you're hungry, you feed yourself. You're tired. You sit down or you take a nap. Uh, he's making an obvious point here, but he's saying if 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 your sister in Christ or your girlfriend is 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 needing something, meet the need. See a need, meet the need. See a young woman needing help, you do that. She's so carrying a heavy object. Young men, step up. If you see her picking up, you know, 13 chairs and she's trying to clean up in 120 West, say, hey, let me get that for you. I'd love to. Can I serve you in that way? And ladies, your job is to say, absolutely get this off my back. You know. <laughs> But young men should step up and do that. Not waiting for someone. Not waiting for uh, you know for Ryan to model. Like, hey, can you go help that girl over there? No, yeah, you're going to jump in. You're going to help her out. You're going to help her out because you care. You're serving attentively. You're seeing what her physical needs are and you're meeting them. <laughs> Opening doors, carrying books. You see a flat tire that needs to be changed. You jump in there. Um, girls fighting. You see two girls fighting. You step in and you stop the fight. Doesn't matter if it's entertaining. You're going to stop the fight. In fact, you know what's going to happen is when you jump in there and stop the fight, you're probably going to make it on a Gillette commercial for being a godly man. (laughs) You know, you jump in there and they're hitting you in the face. You're like, oh, stop, stop, stop. It'll be a good thing. You'll go viral for all the right reasons. You're being a godly man. You're serving attentively. You're not going to let these two young ladies hurt themselves. Giving your jacket, I mean, I know sometimes it has romantic connotations, but giving your jacket, being willing to say, hey, I want to meet your needs and be helpful to you. I want to walk on the outside of the sidewalk so that if a car comes and hits somebody, you're going to hit me first. Fellows, be a godly man who's respectful, respectable and respectful. Begin practicing this at home with your mom. Practice here at True North with the young ladies that are here that are willing to let you lead in some capacity. Be the first to volunteer. Don't follow your peers or the latest music that says, all the things that I know that your parents don't, they don't care like I do. They don't care like I do. That's a terrible thing to say to your girlfriend. Your parents don't care about you like I do. That's the kind of seduction and evilness that I want you to avoid. I don't want you to listen to those songs and then get the impression that that's the way to treat a young woman. That is by no means. Someone says that to my daughter, I'm about to punch that dude in the face. <laughs> Essentially, in a nutshell, young man, you're treating her as you would a sister. Now, don't give me the gross out face yet. Sister is someone that you protect, you care for. Uh, you're looking out for her. You see a guy mistreating her, you're jumping in, right? Uh, You've got to see the girls that are sitting next to you in this room here and any Christian woman As your sister. First and foremost, your sister in Christ. And then, who knows, God willing, maybe someday your wife. But right now, she's your sister. And that means protecting her like a sister. Stepping up for her like a sister. Willing to take a bullet for her like a sister. That's the call, young men. Um, And if you're feeling like there's no way I could possibly do that, I agree. The only way you're going to be able to do this is if you're a godly man in Christ. You need to follow Christ, young men. This is is your hope. This is your strength. This is the way that you're going to become the kind of man that God wants you to be. Let's wrap this up. Verses 31 through 33 is Paul landing the airplane. He's saying, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. We talked about this last week in Genesis 2. And the two shall become one flesh. Okay, there's the unity there. He's leaving his, husband, uh, his mother and father. There's, there's, uh, there's intimacy. Verse 32. This mystery is profound. And the mystery he's referring to in this case is the mystery of the two becoming one flesh. So that mystery is profound. He's saying, but if there's a deeper meaning behind it. It's referring to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The one phrase I want to focus in on as we land the plane here, and we're going to go through this relatively quickly. Um, it's, it's the meaning behind the relationship. Behind the relationship is the unity of Christ and his church. And if you're, if you're saying to yourself, these two things are hard to do, submission and leadership, the way that you fuel that, the way that you motivate that and undergird that is by having a healthy and right love for Christ first. Because this is what it all points to. Christ and his church is what the whole thing's about. This is what the whole hokey pokey's about. Your job then is to love Christ first and foremost. If you want to love a girl well, or you want to love a guy well, let me tell you how to do that. You love Christ well. Point number three, love Christ above all others. Let there be no, uh, no confusion in anyone else's mind who is first in your heart and your mind. Christ is everything to you, and that's everything that, need, that matters most. In fact, I've said this to you before, but let me say this again. We love each other best when we love Christ most. We love each other best when we love Christ most. And that that refrain is true for the rest of your life. you want to love someone well, love Jesus first. Let him be the one that drives you, captivates you, cultivates you, makes you a godly man or woman. Really quickly, let me give you four reasons why loving Christ above all others is good for you and good for your relationships. Number one... Love for Christ frees us to forget ourselves. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, I'm I'm glad to be pouring my life out for you, Philippians. If my death means your gain, then I'm stoked about that. You can't say that unless you love Christ first. Love for Christ frees us to forget ourselves. Love for Christ also frees us from selfish pride. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, dirty, hairy feet disgusting feet with mud caked on their toenails. Jesus puts them in a bowl and washes them with his own hands. The maker of feet washed the feet of the disciples. If you understand that story, if you understand that that account, and you understand what Jesus has done for you, then it makes so so much sense in your life to wash the feet of others. Not literally. Please don't do that. That's gross. But in a, in a, in a metaphorical sense, washing the feet of others is willingness to serve them, to humble yourself and not let pride stop you from enjoying the blessings of serving others. Love for Christ also enables radical forgiveness. Some of you guys will be sinned against in terrible, awful ways, and some of you have sinned against others in terrible, awful ways. In the account of Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable about the, the king who settles accounts with a servant. The servant owes him $10 billion, and the servant can't pay. He says, Lord, please give me time. I'll pay you back. Um, the king, in his graciousness, says, don't worry about it. I'm clearing your account right now. Servant stoked. He's walking home. He sees, uh, you know, he sees one of the guys from 2 North that owes him 10 bucks and you know, shakes his collar and says, where's my money, punk? And then the guy says, I'll have your money. Give me until Friday. I'll pay you back as soon as I can. And the guy says, no. you are going to prison. He throws him in prison. Unfortunately for the guy who threw the guy in prison, the servants are there who see him. And they say, wait, this is the guy that just got forgiven $10 billion, and yet you threw that guy in prison for 10 bucks." Goes back to the king. The king finds out. King says, what are you doing? You're a wicked servant. It does not end well for that servant who was unwilling to forgive the smaller debt when his comparatively larger debt was free and cleared by the graciousness of the king. If you truly love somebody, if you've been loved by Christ, then that's going to enable you to fully forgive people when they sin against you. Because guess what? In your relationships, no matter how cute he is or how beautiful she is, you're going to sin against each other in big ways. Which means it's going to require a lot of forgiveness, and the love for Christ will fuel and, and enable that. Lastly, the love for Christ fuels perseverance when feelings fade. In high school, things are awesome because you know you're, you're excited. The relationship is new and fresh and vibrant um, for our season, perhaps, and maybe for you, it's it's you know it's it's all it's all gravy. You're not really having to, to worry about your feelings fading because you're so enjoying the person that you're with. Well. Um, Let's just say, for instance, that you find your match in high school and you're one of those rare people who marry your high school sweetheart. I can promise you that your relationship will change and morph and maybe the, the love that you used to have isn't quite there. You're human and your feelings are fickle. Love is what's going to carry you through to continue loving someone when, when the romance and the passion isn't there the way it used to be. You need to love Christ first. I hope you see the wisdom in that. So I hope you understand all of this that undergirds the relationships of boys and girls. Uh, if love is, a, is, love is the foundation that everything else is built upon, young men, you're called to love. And when that love is there, the sacrifice and the leadership will make sense. Young ladies, you're called to love Christ. And if that love is there, the humble submission, you have it in Christ, who, by the way, was single. And he, he was awesome. He was perfect. Um all of that to say, this is this is your call. This is your role. And if you're willing to honor the role that God has given you, it's only when we fill, fulfill our roles that we reach our relationship goals. All right. You may not know this about me, but I love Monopoly. And I will crush you if you and I ever have 25 hours to play. In fact, probably the only bad thing about Monopoly, aside from that, that it takes a long time to play, is that they have a new token. They replaced, they replaced the iron token with a cat token. Because they're evil. One of the first things you do when you play Monopoly, of course, is that you decide what are the house rules that we're going to follow. You know what, what happens when you land on free parking? What happens if you land on go when you're crossing the board to get double? What happens if you get snake eyes? Are we auctioning off the properties like you're supposed to? <laughs> and occasionally... I'm not going to throw anyone in my family under the bus, but I feel like rules are sometimes changed so that they can win because they can't win against me. (laughs) And when people get all sneaky and try to cheat to win the game, I get a little miffed about that. But apparently Monopoly is aware of this. In fact, they created a Monopoly cheater's edition. Did you know that? (laughs) All the pieces are cat pieces. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We think that when we change the rules... You bend the rules of how God designed relationships that we can still win. This, unfortunately, is not the case. I know for a lot of young people today, they feel like they're winning in their relationships because they're so fulfilled with their their SO, their same-sex attracted partner, you know, their whatever else that fills in the blank. They're bending the rules, they're changing the rules that God designed, thinking that they're going to win the game. They're really going to have that itch scratch. They're really going to find fulfillment and satisfaction with their partner, whoever they happen to be. But we can't win. We deceive ourselves and ruin the game and we try to change the rules that God designed for us. Embracing the rules mean, means embracing the roles. And only when we embrace our roles that God has designed will we fully and ever reach our relationship goals. Hope you can see the wisdom in that and hopefully this is an encouragement to you. Um, next week when we come back and talk about this, we'll talk about what it looks like as we start to talk about dating specifically, what it looks like to date well. We'll talk about that for two weeks. Let's pray.